0: Balpert, the team of Brass and Carson Sistoulli. This is Fangraphs Studio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Studio making his weekly Monday appearance. It's his weekly Monday appearance, the managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron. And what follows? And what follows in this uh, what follows? As he does every week, Dave Cameron endeavors on this edition of the program to analyze all baseball. Of particular note this week. Of particular note. An inquisitive are you familiar with the situation between Bryce Harper and Jonathan Peballbomb? Well, what follows you can expect to find an inquisitive and also but also messy and largely unscientific conversation on that same thing. I say Dave Cameron, why is this so compelling to people? Dave Cameron attempts to answer it, but it's not grounded in anything. It's merely speculation and conjecture. Anyway, it, it deserved to be addressed and so we addressed it. Also, Dave Cameron comments on why professional coin tossing would be uninteresting. Imagine someone, imagine a whole sport based around coin tossing. Would you watch it? Maybe you would, but probably not. Depends how you define the rules. Anyway, uh, also uh, to be found in this edition of the program, uh, why Dave Cameron doesn't care for other episodes of Fangraphs audio. Interesting. You know, I didn't really enjoy <laughs> the conversation that was going on. It is Fangraphs audio. This feature, Dave Cameron, it's going to begin shortly, but it's not going to begin for I'm able to sing the praises of Draft. Draft, what is Draft? The Draft is an application available by means both of uh, the App Store for, for the iOS operating system and also for the Android operating system, a sort of program, sort of application you would get from Google Play, or other things like Google Play Draft is uh, an application. It's a uh, if you're familiar with FanDuel, for example, or familiar with DraftKings, you know these are daily fantasy sports games. Draft is that same sort of thing, except it is the first of these daily uh, f- uh, fantasy sports games available exclusively from mobile devices. It's simple, maybe too simple, but it's simple. What you do is you find uh, someone who is either a stranger or a friend of yours who is already part of the Draft universe. You conduct a snake draft, each selecting five players. They accrue fantasy points. One of you wins. Would you like to select? Would you like to wager on it? You can do it with American currency and no other sort of currency. Don't even think about it. Just American currency. But allow me allow me to tell you one reason why I like it. Uh, this this evening, I accepted a challenge from a, a listener. I assume a listener whose username on Draft is W A Studio P Good, which I believe is a reference to Williams Williams A Studio, a catching prospect in the Philly system. And P good meaning pretty good. That's what the kids say. It's also what Kyla McDaniel says on uh, his edition of the podcast. And we had a nice conversation. It was was just a pleasant person. I am going to assume it's a young man or a younger man because 18 to 34 is our demographic. 18 to 34 young men. If it's not, I apologize. But it doesn't matter, is the point. Two humans having a brief dialogue in a world that is typically frightening and very frightening. That is the sort of thing I, that is the sort of thing to draft promises you is shelter from from a world that is too scary for us to live in but probably less ambitious promise is that uh, you can at least pass the evening without staying uh, without uh, harassing an animal or something like that i don't know what people do anyway it's draft it's a draft app it's available on uh, like i said the app the app store or google play you can play it you can challenge me if you'd like to there's a link at the post for which at which this uh edition of the podcast appears okay that has been a message from the sponsor. I've already told you about the guest. But I'll say it again, I guess. It's, uh, it, it, it is Fangraph Studio. Do it does feature Dave Cameron. And it begins, it begins, it begins right now. There he is. Hey. There's, there's Dave Cameron. Um uh, here I am. What's that you got there
1: in the background? That would be a screaming baby.
0: Oh, do you know, are you uh, related to that baby? I am
1: by, yeah, I believe so.
0: Would you say that uh, the baby shares roughly half of your genetic material? Or I should say, no, that's not what I mean. Roughly half of its genetic material (laughs) is your genetic material as well.
1: Yeah, I think the part that is screaming right now would be my wife's. Oh, really? Yeah, this Uh. is her. (laughs) <laughs> when he when he's happy, that's me. How oh, is it? When he's grumpy, it's her.
0: Okay. Have you uh, have you brought these observations to your wife's attention?
1: Yeah, she thinks I'm uh, stupid.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, uh, we all have different opinions, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think uh, the baby certainly has his own opinion about things,
0: <laughs> and is not reluctant to share those opinions. No, that's right.
1: He is. Uh, he's a hot take baby. <laughs>
0: yeah. I think most babies they have a lot of hot takes yeah and uh well a lot of them what they some of uh, i guess some of it's just general discomfort there's a lot of pro- there's a lot of uh pro- protesting
1: yeah it's funny how they uh their moods can change so fast they go from like really happy to like randomly angry and you don't know why and then and then back again it like sometimes the like intense anger and hatred lasts like twelve seconds
0: right that's why babies make up roughly ninety nine percent of internet commenters.
1: Ah, yeah, yeah. There, there's a striking similarity <laughs> yeah. in the way they view the world.
0: Yeah. Um, can I ask you? I'm going to ask you about a. Uh, I'm not. I'm not looking for a hot take, but I am interested in uh, at least uh, scratching the surface of uh, human psychology with you okay. briefly. Sure. Oh, wait. we brought, we discussed this last week. It's not uncommon for uh, for us in the, the interdisciplinary field called sabermetrics uh, to utilize. Uh, to utilize work from other fields and apply it to baseball. The, um, the contretemps, I believe I'm allowed to use the word contretemps right now. The kerfuffle between, uh, um, Jonathan Pavlaban and Bryce Harper. Yeah. It's it a is, thing that happened. Yeah, right. It's a thing that happened, and it is, it's compelling. Even if you don't, even if your rational mind says, I don't care, and I, and, and too much is being made of it, there's something that's deeply compelling about, that course of events.
1: Uh, yeah, you don't generally see players choke out their teammates on the bench.
0: Right, and so that's part of. It. I guess what any, I guess the violence, the the violent part of it, the violence part of it, is that's part of it that's compelling. Do humans? Do you think would you be fair to say, especially if you see strangers? Do you like to see strangers fighting, generally? Uh.
1: Uh, not really. I'm not really into like MMA and boxing and okay. you know the Colosseum. Like these aren't really my kinds of sports generally.
0: You're not into the Colosseum.
1: Yeah, you know, the uh, gladiation. I'm into
0: know. gladiation. Yeah, <laughs> not not my thing. You're not in. All right, you're not. So you're not. You don't particularly care for violence. But do you agree? Uh, what, you think it's possible to say that that's part of what's what's uh, drawing attention to it. Uh, so I think the violence
1: is what makes this one notable, because, I mean, it's not that unusual for teammates to have, like, a flap on the bench, but usually it's like someone just throws a water cooler or spikes their glove or something, and then someone else yells at them and tells them to stop acting like a baby, mm-hmm. uh, like my baby right now. <laughs> and, uh, and then that's the end of it, and we're just like, oh, you know, there's a some teammate disagreement, uh, you know, and it's not really big news. This time, I think it's it's news because, one, Pavel choked out Bryce Harper, and because it's Jonathan Papelbon and Bryce Harper, right? So you have, like, the presumptive NL MVP and maybe the best player in baseball right now. Uh, and, you know, one of the most loud, um, yeah, loud, I think, is the best word for Jonathan Papelbon, uh prominent uh, loudmouth in the game. So these are two big personalities and two guys who are, you know, newsworthy uh, individuals going at it. And then the physicality, I think, uh, is kind of what separates it from most of the other...
0: And and then also perhaps the the degree to which it might uh, uh, it it fits very nicely into the narrative that the Nationals has essentially created for themselves by losing so much.
1: Right. I mean, this isn't like uh, you know the the stories of the Nationals discord among their players and in the clubhouse uh, have been brewing for a while. This is not like the first example we have of uh, you know rumors of people not liking the manager or Matt Williams and Bryce Harper not necessarily getting along or lots of people not liking Bryce Harper's personality, uh or Jonathan Pappelbaum's personality. These are like uh uh simmering issues that have probably uh not not this isn't the first time that uh these guys have uh gone after each other. And I think, you know, uh one of the interesting points is this probably was um not really related to Harper running out the ball. I mean, that might have been like the uh, the match that light lit this fire, but this was a, a an issue that went back to when Jonathan Papelbon hit Manny Machado, and then Bryce Harper after the game basically called him out on it. And uh, you know, when you have uh, teammates sniping at each other in the media, uh, something like this might be inevitable. Right?
0: Do you um? I suppose the other aspect of it, or here's a, here's a question, right? Is that the, there are only so many uh, there are only so many jobs in which you're allowed to—not not necessarily allowed to—but in which you yell loudly at a colleague, and then and it's and then the comments regarding afterwards, though it's just that's just a part of the way that our business is conducted in this industry.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things about baseball that are really like you know, I don't think you're allowed to just go around slapping your coworkers' butts. General, General upon a, Yeah, in an office. Yeah, uh, in fact,
0: that, uh, most jobs, especially corporate jobs, you go through a uh, pretty serious yeah um uh, a bit of training regarding right. the what you can and cannot do.
1: Right. So that you know, I think there's just a lot of stuff regarding baseball and the type of people who play baseball that are not the same as the you know standard nine to five work environment. Um, and I think you know, like C.J. uh wrote about this a bit and kind of said hey, look, you know, the clubhouse is very different than your environment. You can't necessarily take your norms and put them on us uh, unless you've been in that clubhouse and understand that culture. Uh, and he got a lot of flack for that, I think, because a lot of people uh, don't really like the baseball culture. And I think maybe for some very fair reasons. Like, I think there's probably a lot of things about the baseball culture that is behind the times and, you know, could use improving. But I I do think it's a little bit tricky to try and tell people that the what they did. I mean, obviously, Papelbon choking Harper is unacceptable. The, not defending that in the slightest, and not defending Papelbon in the slightest. Uh, but I think that we don't necessarily understand how their culture works very well, and so you know, not not too dissimilarly from how we shouldn't necessarily judge uh, you know cultures in other countries who do things differently. Uh, I don't know that we should
0: be. You uh, think there's a sort of rel- a cultural relativism, essentially w- occurring. Is a sort of subset of of you know places of work. This is a, this is an unusual subset.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I think there are positives and negatives associated with different cultures, and we can point out the negatives without necessarily saying that like our culture uh need or their culture needs to become our culture, right so like maybe the the normal office workplace environment would be a terrible culture for baseball players. maybe it wouldn't work in that environment where you're traveling together and living together and uh you know uh basically spending six seven seven and a half months together uh and and that's kind of your family right so like maybe that needs a different kind of culture than what a lot of us are used to when we just you know go hang out with our coworkers for a few hours during the day and then go home at night
0: mm mm-hmm or in the case of uh, our particular uh, f- uh field industry uh never see each other ever
1: yeah so i mean twice, that's really what, our, what we hope for is <laughs> to see each other as uh, as un- often as possible
0: yeah uh okay i get, yeah i guess i was just curious as to uh, as to what uh, what what your thoughts were on what made it what made it interesting what made it compelling i guess yeah. uh, certainly the figures involved are are part of it.
1: I do think, uh you know, I basically didn't weigh in on Twitter because everyone else in the world was
0: weighing in on mm-hmm. Twitter yesterday,
1: and I felt like every opinion had possibly been shared. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, didn't really enjoy <laughs> the conversation that was going on, so I kind of stayed out of it. But I will say, you know, I don't know a ton of baseball players, but I do know a few. And, you know, I think the ones that I know generally skew more towards the analytical, thoughtful, um, you know, uh well spoken not you know your average shock i don't know jonathan Papelbon. Uh-huh. and i don't I probably don't know a lot of guys like jonathan Papelbon. <clears throat> uh but you know the ones that i talked to uh they actually kind of didn't think this was that big a deal and they were certainly not as outraged by it as kind of the public was uh obviously the physical assault everybody agrees that's wrong <laughs> you know like no one's no one's defending that but i do think like um, in talking to them and kind of hearing the explanation of like, hey, look, you know, Papelbon uh, thought he was basically uh, the ass- the assertion is anyway, at least from the player's perspective, Papelbon thought he was standing up for Max Scherzer when he went after Machado because Machado kind of pimped a home run off Scherzer, and Papelbon thought he was being a good teammate by kind of defending his guy. Uh, now we can all think that's stupid, but at least from his perspective, maybe his motivations were that he was being a good teammate. And then Harper publicly calls him out after the game and basically says it's stupid. And so now you have like uh a chance where Papelbon says, hey, look, you know, this young kid uh doesn't understand how kind of teammates are supposed to stick together, has publicly called me out. The next time I have a chance to publicly call him out, I'm going to do it. And so it wasn't necessarily so much that Papelbon was unhappy with Harper's effort level as much as he was looking for an opportunity to teach the kid a lesson. Mm-hmm. I think when you view it in that light, it's a little bit different, not that the choking or any of that is acceptable, uh, but I think in that light it's a little bit different than just uh, Papelbon doesn't like Bryce Harper and therefore he started a fight.
0: Right, and so maybe if it had stopped short of the choking part, I, I think, you know, it, very it, different...
1: it seems like uh the the general tenor in baseball is that you keep stuff in the clubhouse. That actually seems like a pretty good part part of their culture, right? Like, mm-hmm. Bryce Harper probably shouldn't be airing his dirty laundry uh, with his teammates before he just, like, he should have told on that. Like, if he really feels that, like, hey, you know, there's no place in baseball for beanballs and this whole thing is stupid, Harper should challenge his teammates and try to convince them of that rather than sniping about it to reporters.
0: Do Do, do you think... I don't know if this is an interesting question. Very possibly not. Uh, but do you think that the best player in baseball uh, receives some level of immunity from criticism, at least in terms of at least how his uh, how his on-field conduct is viewed? He does, but he shouldn't.
1: I think this is one of the areas where I'm going to disagree with most of baseball Twitter or base, you know, kind of a community of fans that we're part of. Mm-hmm. Fangraphs is that, like. For me, the fact that, like, Barry Bonds was really good at hitting home runs doesn't really excuse the fact that Barry Bonds was a colossal jerk by basically every person who ever hung out with him. Uh, and, you know, like, Bryce Harper is great at baseball, but I don't know why that means that we have to defend Bryce Harper's personality or, uh, you know, demeanor or, you know, any of the things that aren't Bryce Harper hitting fastballs. Uh, it seems like baseball, the, kind of the sabermetric baseball fan, uh, and this is obviously a broad generalization, not everybody feels this way. But, it seems like we are quick to defend players who are good, uh, you know, whenever they get into any kind of confrontation with someone who is less good. And so, you know, Jonathan Papelbon is not as good as Bryce Harper. <laughs> and so we take Bryce Harper's side. Uh, obviously Pappelbaum was wrong, again, not defending Pappelbaum. But I, I mean, I, I wonder, uh, why we're so quick to defend players who are good at playing baseball for things that aren't playing baseball?
0: Right. Um, <clears throat> that's fine. A bit of uh, speculative conversation on, on on this encounter, but uh, you know it it, ha- it had. Let's see, things. It's an appealing thing. It, it appeals to a lot of people, or it's compelling for a lot of people. Things that are compelling to a lot of people, I guess, are sort of inherently interesting. At least, understand what exactly is sort of uh, resonating with everyone, and so we've discussed it briefly. Not very scientifically, but we did it, Cameron. Hooray for us! Yeah, hooray for us. Uh, let's uh, actually let's um, let's remain briefly with Harper and uh, and uh, and the Nationals. Um, you were you were recently uh, you recently wrote a post called "The Role of Context in Determining the Best," um, and in, I think in some ways was it uh, it was an extension, yes, of a piece that uh, that Dave Studman wrote for the Harbaugh Times. Yeah, I would, a follow-up maybe. Right, and yeah. in both cases, so he, he, here's what I'll say. I extracted from it is uh, wh- what I think is a uh, a uh, point, a rich point that that uh, was taken from both of them, around sort of around both pieces um, revolve. Bryce Harper he clearly has the best. Uh, he has the best all of the, the offensive numbers, and um, even when you account for the fact that he plays mostly. Corner outfield, he's still the best player in the league in terms of producing wins, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, <clears throat> and we should say he's playing for a team in the Nationals that has done a number of things that typically lead to wins, except they have come in kind of the wrong order. Right. Right. And so therefore they have, what, they're, you know, they're, they've lost, they've essentially lost the, um, the NLAs because of it. Yeah, right. I think the
1: the Nationals and Mets actually have very similar uh context neutral numbers, but we don't care about that when handing out the division titles. And so the Mets are already celebrating their division championship, even though I think by like run differential they're still not that far ahead of the Mets. Right,
0: or that, that far ahead of the Nationals. Nationals, right? And so, and so that's obviously because wins are very important. Right. Um. Uh, that's that's something we consider when we consider. Uh, with what is and what is not the best team? We yeah. don't really apply the same level of scrutiny to players, and it's proven perhaps by the fact that what is it in in low and medium uh, leverage sorts of situations? Bryce Harper is what he's the best hitter in both circumstances, right? Yeah,
1: by a good margin. Yeah,
0: but then in high leverage situations, uh, I think he's like the seventieth overall.
1: Yeah, he's been fine, he's not been terrible, but he relative to his low and medium leverage situations, he has not been very good.
0: Right. So if you were to essentially translate that to wins and losses based on one player, Right. Uh I don't know I I don't know how many qualified batters there are usually, something less than 200. 200, 200 yeah, 200ish. 200ish yeah. So he would be he would be not that far above uh 500 essentially from that point of view. Uh, yeah, maybe
1: like 525 or 525. 530 or something. Yeah.
0: He would be sort of on the fringes of playoff contention as a, as a Just player. As a, high, a high leverage hitter. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you didn't, if you didn't include any of his low leverage and medium leverage stuff, which you should, but. Which uh, you should. Right. But so it brings up this interesting point is, uh, is that we don't necessarily bring this level of scrutiny to bear on the individual level. And in fact, might receive, uh, might receive criticism for doing so, um, but in in the end, this is something that we do for teams all the time. And it should be said, uh, has long been the case looking at it for pitchers, who even if you don't, I mean, certainly in terms of win lo- wins and losses, uh, but ERA itself is also something that uh, is frequently influenced by teammates as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I
0: think this is kind of
1: a, the central point I was trying to make, is why are we 100% convinced that context-neutral performances are the way to judge the best player if we do not also believe that about the best team, or in, like you said, sometimes the best pitcher, uh, I, you know, I think context neutral stats are fantastic, and that's most of what we have on Pangraphs is context neutral, that's most of what we use, I mean, like, the numbers that we're most famous for are all context neutral, and, you know, generally, I think most of the time, uh, You're better off with a context-neutral stat than some kind of uh situational dependent. Uh, You know, oh, this guy got a single, but it happened at the right time, so we're going to give him a ton of credit, and this guy who hit a homer because his team was losing doesn't get that much credit because his teammates were terrible. Like, I think in general you want to kind of just look at what a player does in isolation. But I don't know that awards time is actually, like, the right time to do it because I think in every other aspect when we're evaluating who the best team is, or the best, whatever, we include context. And we say, you know what? At the end of the day, the results are all that matters. And we have, you know, we basically are on the other side of this with, uh, the pitching side where tons of people still want to use ERA and they're like, you know, that's fine. You can use your context neutral FIP all you want and say what should have happened if you had gotten different distributions, but all that really matters is runs allowed. But then if you try and apply that same concept to hitting, people freak out. And I don't really know why.
0: Well, it's probably just because, it probably has, I mean these sorts of things, right, are always uh, based to some degree on how we have done them in the past, right? Yeah, but I I mean the traditional kind of how we've done MVP
1: voting for a long time was RBIs, right? Like combating average homers matter too but a lot of it was RBIs, which is a context-specific stat. And so, like, the sabermetric revolution kind of pushed back against RBIs and were like, RBIs is stupid, and maybe that's why they just completely moved away from context in general. Uh, but I think, like, R- RBIs are stupid. It's a bad stat. Okay, <laughs> uh, But the concept of, uh, you know, different values of different events based on um, kind of the circumstances of, this, of the event are legitimate, like I don't think any of us think that a solo homer is worth the same as a three run homer, like maybe for judging the player's talent level, which is what we normally want to do, yes, fine, they're both a home run, but for counting who wins at the end of the game, the three run homer counts more
0: right do you Do you like the idea of a game uh, this is a, not a not a game that exists necessarily, but a game <clears throat> in which the the most skilled team is always the one that's going to win? No, you, you don't, don't that's like or, that. that's super boring. But but you also would have you also don't want it. I assume you don't want it to be entirely random either. No, right. You, there's a sweet spot between right. no skill and all skill. Because in the NFL, I think uh, it, um, I used to do some writing for uh, what was then called advanced uh, advanced football stats and, uh, anyways, the um, Brian Burke site, and I think yeah. he writes for ESPN now and uh, he had developed a pretty sound methodology for determining essentially the true record of mm-hmm. every team right yeah. i think there was a year in which the san diego chargers uh were either first or second by this measure and they didn't even make the playoffs that's right. because you only have a sample i mean however you want to divide up the sample 16 games or you know however many plays you're able to execute during those during those 16 games but there's going to be quite a bit of of Variants, and you only need like two or three games uh, wins of variance in order to render an elite team uh you know a non playoff club right uh, so that's a that's a type of of randomness and and I think that anything more random than that you say well what's the point what's the point of trying to be good
1: yeah right i mean you you need some incentive to say like what you actually do in putting the other team matters if if like nothing if you don't if you can't move the needle at all and like it's just all variance, then no one's going to try and every team's just going to be the same
0: like would this be an interesting league for you a league in which um various competitors they they play play alone like in you know tennis or something like that singles players they compete against each other for to see who can uh, flip more heads in one case or tails in the other not at all that's not a very exciting yeah, sport yeah I'm not going to watch coin flipping yeah coin but <laughs> well, what if there was okay what if there was a a guy who succeeded somehow he was in he, he was just a really good coin flipper uh it well, would happen right if you had a million competitors yeah right somebody just by random variance
1: would flip a bunch of coins would go his direction more often than some other guys, mm-hmm. but I think that's not interesting either right like uh, I think what would be interesting is to see if some guy, like, surreptitiously was, like, filing coins down and, like, got really good at, like, hiding his cheating. Uh, that might be
0: interesting. Like, maybe he had, maybe he flipped and he had some sort of ring on, and on the inside there was a little bit of, like, a, yeah, like a, like a, a filing, uh, sort of. Or um, maybe, like, capping. he could, like, put, like, implant a magnet in his
1: palm. And then, like, some very small, uh, you know, piece of metal that would be attracted to that magnet on just one side of the coin. Mm-hmm. And so you could, like, have, like, uh, I don't know, is this, like, Magneto or something? Was this, like, a superhero had this? I, I'm not a big superhero yeah, comic much of guy, a superhero but, you know, like, it seems like there's, it. yeah, some way of, like, maybe, uh, installing something in your physical body that would cause it to land on one side more often than not.
0: Right. So what are the, what are the various elements, what are the elements you need to add to coin flipping? Or need to subtract from, uh, from, you know, the equivalent of simulating a million baseball games so the, the, the best team always wins. Like, what, what are those elements that, that you insert into the middle, you know, in between somewhere that make a game, that make a game compelling to begin with? Yeah. I mean, so, right. So
1: some of it's just you insert randomness, right? Like, you just, uh, some percentage of the outcome of the game is going to be based on things that the players, don't have sustainable control over. So you can say, like, you know, a guy hitting a home run, it's, uh, you know, something he did, he should get credit for it, but a guy can't just go up there and choose to hit a home run. So if you insert some level of challenge in the what the players are trying to do, where they have enough control over the outcomes in order to be the best in the world at that thing, so it's not coin flipping, uh, that they can work on their skills and they can, you know, kind of uh, hone their craft, but they still can't just... Uh, perfectly execute the the optimal result all the time or even most of the time. Uh I think that's kind of the ideal is you want these the best in the world people to still be doing something that is challenging for them. Because if it's easy for them then then you will have very little variance. So you want to play a game that's really difficult even when you're the best at it.
0: Do you think actually right, or so think of a game like Darts, right? Darts is sort of based on fine motor skills, right? Yeah, that might be why I'm not very good at darts. Yeah, okay. But but um, I, I would imagine a skill like that. I'd actually – if someone were to train him or herself, I bet that same individual could actually begin to reliably or at least above 50 percent um, flip a coin and receive the result he or she was looking for. What do you think is like – like the requirements being the coin has to flip – at least twice, like has to go heads over tails over heads or whatever. And then, and then produce the result, the desired result.
1: I, yeah, I don't know. This I, is going to be a big,
0: this is going to be a big sport, Cameron. I don't think it's going to catch on. Competitive coin flipping.
1: I think that you are going to be the only person who
0: likes this. Sport. Do you think it's going to be bigger or less big than Canadian football? Uh, I didn't know anything could be less big than Canadian football. <laughs> it's big in Canada. Is it? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's actually might be their second sport, second most televised sport there. After. No,
1: that's going to be like curling.
0: I don't. I think curling is more popular certainly than it is in the States, but I don't know if it has the TV audience. You know, they play in front of big crowds, at least in Montreal, I know that. And the Toronto Argonauts always draw as well. Okay. Mm. Well,
1: then it will not be as big as Canadian football.
0: Okay. Um. This is not so much of a segue, but uh, let's see. It's not a segue in terms of the its relevance to what we've just been discussing. It's a, it is a good segue in terms of it's an amusing question. Dave Kerman, uh, you suggest that the New York Mets are a scary playoff team. I think that's true, yeah. However, are they also a spooky playoff team? <laughs> <laughs> well, they
1: are going to play in October. Uh, yeah. This is the month to be spooked. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think – um no, I would not call them spooky. I think they are uh up front in the way they scare you. They are much more like chainsaw murderer coming at you uh, you know, at a hundred miles an hour than some guy hiding behind the corner ready to like pop out. Like you you're gonna see the Mets coming because right. they throw really hard and their strengths are pretty obvious.
0: They throw really hard, they have good they have good starting pitchers.
1: They have four well, at least three and maybe four very good starting pitchers
0: is the question mark Stephen Matz, yeah, he's the question mark okay. because
1: I think he's a guy well like six or seven major league starts and uh has wow. questionable health and uh is uh maybe not quite at the same level in terms of strikeouts as the other guys
0: Wait, when do etsy at what point in the playoffs do you have to employ a four starter when does that happen?
1: Well, first round, really. I mean, like unless you're going to pitch your number one guy on short rest, which I can't imagine the Mets are going to do given the young uh, starters they have, uh, you have to use four starters in the first round.
0: Okay. So you could see Steven Matz as uh, – well, probably will see Steven Matz as early as the first round.
1: Uh, especially because I think they said they're only going to pitch Matt Harvey once per series. Uh, you might actually see Steven Matz twice. Harvey might actually get the number four starter role if they're going to stick to that. They, you know, they've flip flopped on this Matt Harvey workload thing enough times that who knows what they're actually going to do. But if the goal is to only pitch Matt Harvey once per series, then he would be the four starter, and you would go probably Degrom, Guard, Matz in game one, two, three.
0: We know that the we've looked we've looked at this before and noted that starting pitchers. Are probably less important in the playoffs than they are in the regular season uh because you can you can go to your bullpen much more quickly in the in the playoffs um, and yet you point to the Mets one of their great strengths is having a strong starting rotation yeah well how do those how do those two statements how do they relate to each other? So I think it's not
1: true that your starting rotation is less important in the postseason. It's uh, your number four and absolutely your number five starter is basically useless, unless he can move to the bullpen and be an asset there. Uh, but the front end of your rotation is actually probably more valuable because you can allocate more innings, especially to a guy who's starting uh twice in a five-game series. Like, that guy is very important. The guy who's going to pitch 40% of your games, uh way more important than he is in the regular season. But the guys who are just going to start once per series in a five-game series – uh, especially, or once in a seven game series, that guy really is, you know, only making 14% of the starts now instead, and he's probably gonna get pulled after five innings most likely. So he's pitching a much lower percentage of innings. So the back end of the rotation is not nearly as important. Which is maybe one of the things that you could argue, uh, works against the Mets a little bit, is like they have three and maybe four very good starting pitchers. But I think when you look at, like, the top two, uh the Dodgers are probably have the, the best one-two in, in baseball, with Clayton Kershaw and Zach Greinke, And then the Cubs' top two of Jake Arrieta and John Lester is very good. And the Pirates' top two of Garrett Cole and Francisco Liriano is pretty awesome. Uh So, you know, it's not that the Mets have a huge advantage in the front, which is where the, the advantage really matters. Their advantage really is that they have more good starters than everybody else. Uh And you could, I think, effectively argue that that, that advantage is diminished in a playoff series versus a um kind of a seven game or a hundred and sixty two game regular season, uh but it still certainly helps.
0: Are you saying did I hear you say that the Mets are not as well endowed in the front? Is that the point that you just made? That's not at all what I said. <laughs> that might have been what
1: you heard, but that's not what I, <laughs> I said. I think that's
0: what you said. No, not at the all. At least that they don't have as much in the front. And I you know that's fine, Dave Kimmerman, if you wanna, if you wanna bring this program off the rails. I mean, I'm not gonna let you, though. I'm not gonna let you. Um I wanted to, just a quick aside, this is, uh, this is not at all a, a, a uh, this is not at all a valuable observation, but it is a, it is a true one. Jake Arrieta, watching him pitch is a true delight. He's amazing. His what is that cutter? He throws yeah. a cutter at like like 89 90, and 92 yeah.
1: or something. That that like 91 mile an hour cutter diving kind of off the outside edge to, yeah. to right-handed batters is just so unfair. Like I literally, have no idea how they hit that. It thing.
0: has so much movement
1: relative to the velocity. Yeah. It's, like, basically a slider, but, uh, you know, doesn't move as much as his actual breaking ball. Yeah. Uh, which he throws at, like, 78 or something. Uh, so it's not, I guess, technically a slider. I think he actually does call it a cut fastball. But it's, uh, you know. It's I a, mean,
0: the result, it does, yeah. you know.
1: From a hitter's perspective, it might as well. You might as well call it a slider, except it's, like, 90 or 91. It is a, that is a rough pitch.
0: Yeah, that should not. that's not something you expect to come out of a starter's hand. Right, especially with command. I right. mean,
1: like, he is very good at spotting that pitch on the outer half and having it end up outside the batter's box. And like, if you, if it looks like a fastball and it's starting over the plate, you basically have to swing, uh, and then it's not there anymore. Like, I, watching J.K.R. at a pitch, it is pretty clear that this guy is not a fluke.
0: Yeah. Well, and also, um, he, he has the, this, he'll, he he could throw like a backup. I don't know if he throws a two-seamer per se, but he could throw sort of a, a, a backup pit, you know, a backdoor door Fastball to to pitchers off of the off of the cutter because you're so you say well what's what's the break going to be on this but then so, you know some of those pitches back up back onto the plate yeah so he's, he's good he's His,
1: really uh, good. Jay, Jay, he had a uh you know I think we've talked I've talked about this a lot the last week I have an NL Cy Young vote uh when I was watching the Sunday night telecast he, you know he hit a home run. And he was throwing a perfect game, and I turned to my friend who I was watching the game with, and I was like, if he hits another home run, because he hit one that was caught against the wall, uh-huh. like, if he hits a second home run and throws a perfect game, that's it, I'm voting for him, like, that's the decider, <laughs> like, he, like he, you, that's the kind of game that, you know, like, I don't know if we've ever had uh, a more valuable performance in baseball history than a perfect game with two homers, right, like, that might have been the best single game performance of all time, and I would have been like, alright, fine, I'm just going to cast my ballot now. But yeah. then the ball was caught at the warning track, and he didn't get a perfect game.
0: We're going to, uh, I mean, we uh, um, let's see, who wrote about the Pirates today? Craig Edwards wrote about the Pirates today, uh, yeah. in, in Garrett Cole's place. And Garrett Cole, also not shabby. Yeah. That
1: that matchup next week, uh, Arietta Cole with the season on the line of two excellent teams, that's, I mean, who knows how it's actually going to play out, but on paper, that's the best baseball game of the year. That's going to be better than anything the World Series gives us. Like, that might be the best baseball game we've seen in a long time. You
0: think it'd be better? best thing in the World Series? What if it's, I mean, what if it's Kershaw versus, uh, wait, let me see, <laughs> Kershaw versus, well, you might be right. Oh, uh, Kershaw, Kershaw versus, versus Hamels—that could be uh, potentially interesting. Uh,
1: Kershaw Price would be the, the game you're looking Kershaw for. Kershaw Price right? or Kershaw keichel or Strowman maybe. Uh, no, so I think like uh, Game Seven of the World Series is obviously amazing, uh, and Thanks, if you have you know, one game for the whole championship, like it doesn't get much more dramatic than that. But the, the stakes <laughs> seem actually higher in this wild card game because if you've gotten to Game Seven of the World Series, obviously you want to win it. But you don't feel bad about how your season ended, right? Like, your season was a success, you had a great year, you can be sad that you lost that game, but whatever, you proved that you could play with every team in baseball and you, you got to the final championship game, you, you know, you right. excited your fan base, you gave them a really fantastic October, you can be really happy with how your season went. Next week, the Cubs and Pirates, legitimately two of probably the five best teams in baseball, are going to play for the right to have their season not be a massive failure. <laughs> they're both going to throw, like, two of the five or six best pitchers in the in the National League, uh, and if they – or one of them is going to lose, and they're just going to be really sad, like totally bummed out that they put together a fantastic team and they didn't even get to go to the postseason. It feels like, to me, the stakes of the wild card game are higher for the fan base than World Series Game 7.
0: Please remind me, uh, now I think it's a true fact that the Pirates have hosted also the last two games. They have. They're wild card veterans. And what is their, uh, what's their what's their performance those two years? Uh, they beat the Reds, right,
1: when they, they chanted Johnny Cueto, Johnny Cueto, or Cueto Cueto. Yeah. And then they oh, dropped yes. the ball and then they lit him up pretty good. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think they lost last year. I could be wrong, yeah, going off memory. Wrong. Who did they play last year?
0: Yeah, I don't know. That's why I ask you. you usually and Maybe we things. should look this up. Okay. Am I, is it my responsibility? Uh, I guess I will do this. Hold on. This Let's, is the part of the, very is the good of the program here. When we, uh, when we use the internet.
1: Yeah, uh, they played the Giants last year, and the Giants, you know, went on to win the World Series. So yes, they mm-hmm. lost to the Giants in the Card game last year, uh, but they beat the Reds, uh, before, before. that.
0: one on one. Okay. Probably hard to detect. Uh, All oh, right. Last
1: year was the it was supposed to be a good game, and the Madison Bumgarner was awesome, and they lit up. Uh, the game was like eleven nothing or something. <laughs> it turned out to not be a very good game. Right. Eight nothing. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Well, that's happy. Yeah. You know, the National League is a. I mean, with the exception of, I guess, a very long shot for Pittsburgh catching St. Louis. That's not happening. Yeah. Right. Um. Uh, that that it's pretty much uh, things are pretty much decided there. Um. Although I think an interesting. If, uh, from a spectator's point of view, a fun game in San Francisco tonight with Kershaw facing Bumgarner. Uh, I think if the if the Giants lose even one game, I believe that they've been eliminated. Yeah, the Dodgers are the next win clinches. Yeah, right. But it'll be a, that'll it'll be a good game because there are consequences to it at least.
1: Yeah, and, and you know that's a rivalry, so the Giants certainly do not want the Dodgers clinching in San Francisco.
0: Right. So that there's some, uh, but the uh, but th- at this point it seems as though. Uh, the AL West is where, um is where all of the activity is occurring.
1: Uh, yeah, I think, like, by Sunday, that's probably gonna be the only interesting, like, Rangers and Astros will be the only two teams. And maybe the Angels, maybe they'll, uh, figure out how to get back in this, uh, and, you know, making a three-way race for the division. But, uh, those will probably be the only games of drama on Sunday.
0: Right. And, uh, I think on Sunday, all the games are occurring at the same time, isn't that right?
1: Right. They didn't, they wanted to not give anyone an advantage of like, you know, being able to watch, uh, an early game, figure out what they were gonna do, and then play their players differently. So everybody goes in, plays at the same time, you have to decide, if you're trying to win today, you better throw your, you know, guy who you, who's available, who's your best option to win that game.
0: Well, I think it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, no, I think uh, Sunday has a chance to be a lot of fun. That's Except great for the, fact it, it's it's too bad that like five of the six
0: divisions are going to be over by then. Do you have a? Can you do this thing where you watch multiple games at the same time?
1: Yeah, I I have an MLB TV account and multiple screens, so I can you know use a TV and a laptop and a monitor and and right. watch watch multiple games if I want to.
0: You, do you think you're going to take advantage of that technology?
1: Uh, it's possible. I also have. have, a child? have Have a a child and a couple of significant deadlines this weekend, so uh, we will see how much work I get done during the week. I'm running a dumb half marathon on Sunday. That is dumb. Yep. Do you want me to give you my half marathon advice?
0: Yeah. Have you run one before? Sort of. So uh my <laughs> That's not when, a great I, answer. Yeah,
1: when I got done uh with chemo, my wife and a few of her coworkers at the cancer center where I was being treated decided to uh do a team in training half marathon uh in my honor. So they created Team Dave and uh we raised, I don't know, almost twenty thousand dollars uh for team in training, which is the fundraising arm of the Leukaemia and Lymphoma Society. And so uh I started training with them to try and do this uh half marathon <laughs> with them and then like a couple months into the training, I was, like, really tired, and my doctor was like, this doesn't seem like a great idea. <laughs> you just <laughs> finished chemo. Like, I like your spirit, but maybe not your wisdom. Maybe don't do this. So I stopped training, uh, and, you know, they continued training. And then I traveled. We all went to Cincinnati for the Flying Pig Marathon uh, okay. or Half Marathon. Uh, and so I went with them. And, you know, you get up at, like, 5 o'clock in the morning for, oh. you know, super early because they want it to be decent weather when you run in the summer. <laughs> Uh, and so I got up at like five in the morning and I've traveled to Cincinnati and I'm like, this is silly. I'm already up. I might as well like see what I can do, even though I hadn't trained, <laughs> uh, to run 13 miles. Uh-huh. Uh, so I was like standing there with my wife and her friends at the start line and I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go and we'll see what happens. So I ran the first like three and a half, four miles and kept pace pretty well. And then in Cincinnati in the flying pig marathon, there's a giant hill. Like it goes like way up. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. That looks really not fun. So I stopped and let them run up the hill. But then they had to come back down the hill. And, the like, the finish was, you know, back kind of where you started, basically. And so... I just kind of waited for them for a couple hours and I hung out and I think I went and got like a bagel or something and uh then they came back down the race and like there were no barriers or anything so I just like jumped back in and ran the final mile and a half with my wife and I got an official finishing time of like <laughs> two hours and twenty minutes and I finished in like 134th place and I only had to run five miles it was pre- with a break it was pretty great <laughs> so that is what I suggest you do run three stop go get some breakfast run one and and enjoy your medal it
0: is hard. It is hard. Obviously, that's uh, deeply shameful, the thing you've sure. done. At the same time, it's hard to criticize the guy who, who had cancer at the cancer race.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, the flying pig is not just – I mean, it's not they, – they don't put that on just for cancer. But team and training, right, is involved in a lot of these marathons.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't think I'd be able to do that. I mean, I am – I would be theoretically able to do that, but I don't have as, I don't have the excuses. Is Callie running this with you? Yeah, she's a better runner than I am. But right. my goal so she's is gonna get
1: ahead of you anyway, right? So yeah. she won't know if you duck out. <laughs> yeah,
0: my my main goal. Well, my main goal is not to stop. Uh, my second goal. I think I could maybe break two hours, which I think mm. is like a decent litmus test. Yeah, during. no, if you can do it less than two hours, that's good. Yeah, that's that's the pace with which I've been experimenting. Yeah, it's time. like a nine minute mile for for a couple hours. Yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Okay. Well, best of luck to you. And then we're going to, uh, it's in Portland, Maine, and then we're going to go out to Central Provisions, which is a which is a nice restaurant in Portland, Maine. And uh, oh. we're, uh, David Appman, who is our boss, uh, it was his favorite restaurant when he visited Portland, Maine this summer. I have a Maine recommendation for you, even though I've never been there. Oh, okay.
1: Uh, I think we've actually talked about it on the podcast before. There's an ice cream shop in, in Maine called Gelato Fiasco. Yeah. And it's really good.
0: And, uh, wait, you've never been there, though?
1: No, but they ship their stuff, and I I have purchased their shipped product, and it's probably the best ice cream I've ever had. Gelato Fiasco. Gelato Fiasco. I would imagine there's probably one in Portland, Maine, because they're a Maine company, uh, and I think they have, like, two locations in Maine, and so for them to not have one in the biggest city in Maine would be weird. Yeah, right, uh, right. So I would search for that if you're in the mood for some post-race ice cream.
0: Oh, yeah, I see that. I see it right now. You know, that would uh, – and, of course, post-race ice cream is totally allowed because – You just ran 13 miles. Yeah, you get – you. Yeah. hey – you can eat that gelato guilt-free. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, this is good. Uh, you've uh, fulfilled your obligation to the podcast, Dave Cameron. Ready for me. All right. Uh, I should say, what should I say? I say uh, thank you. You're welcome. And then I say that has been Dave Cameron, managing editor of Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Stouli. has been Fangraphs Audio.